Hi, welcome to RCA's Always Healing Podcast. I'm Trish Caldwell. Today we'll be discussing a mother and son's journey through recovery. Before we start, if you or a loved one needs help with recovery from a substance use disorder or help with a mental health issue, contact 1-800-RECOVERY. Joining me today is Kyle Shea, a treatment advocate at Recovery Centers of America, and his mom, Debbie. Thank you both for joining me. Um, I want to start genuinely by saying your story is likely going to impact somebody else's story. So as we have this conversation, I'm hoping that it can be one that is comfortable for you, allows for people to understand the, the hope that we are advocating for families and their loved ones every single day. So I'm going to actually just start by saying, tell us a little bit about your journey. I'll start. Um, so I'm Kyle. Thank you for having me. And my mom, of course. Um, I would say my journey mm -hmm. started as a, a young child. Um, my dad's in recovery as well, but he was not when I was growing up. Okay. So that would be when my exposure to alcoholism you know, began. Um, and, and at that age, I, I didn't understand it much. Mm. Um, so far as it being an, an illness or a disease, I looked at it much more as a, you know, a choice, you know, where I thought my father was constantly choosing alcohol over mm. our family. Um, and with that came a lot of anger and hostility. Um, and then as I became older and, and progressed into adulthood, I think I thought I was exempt from it, like that I could never be an alcoholic mm -hmm. because of how much I hated, you mm -hmm. know, what it did to my family, what it did to my father. Um, and I didn't really drink much as a young person, like under the age of 18. I didn't really drink a lot in high school. I, I was academically very driven and, and I did really well. Um, but when I went to college, that was when, you know, I started to drink um, and, and pretty quickly realized that it was becoming a problem. Mm. Um, in a way that I, I didn't think would lead to alcoholism. Um, and, I, and I definitely was in denial for quite a, quite a few years, you know, thinking it was just regular behavior for somebody my age. Um, but I, I didn't grow out of it like everybody else did. Mm. It just became more and more problematic and, and problematic behaviors, um, involvement with the law. And, uh, you know, of course, it did a lot of devastation to my family. So, mm. yeah, but definitely I, I thought I was exempt. I didn't think it could ever happen to me. I thought I knew better, you know, and in that because of what we went through with my dad, mm -hmm. um, that it wasn't possible. Yeah, there's a lot of so I worked with teenagers for a very long part of my career. Um, and I would hear them saying the words of I will never be. Mm hmm my dad, I will never be my mom. And so I remember having conversations of like, behaviors are learned, but then we got to pay attention to like genetics, yeah, right? Because nobody, your dad didn't want that either. No. Um, but at 16, at 15, it's a message of like, I'm just not going to be the same. I'm just not going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and college opens up a different world that's less structured in a lot of ways, less monitored, um, and really allows for that opportunity of kind of some of those genetic predispositions to, you know, kind of welcome you uh, with open arms of oh, saying, come on in. It did. Yeah. It did. What did you notice, mom? So again, having a husband that was actively struggling, raising children. Yes. What was life for you as your husband was actively engaged in his alcoholism, um, trying to manage that and raise your children? Well, first of all, I tried to hide it from my children as best I mm. could. Um, all kinds of excuses, uh, lies, you know, you know, dad's here, dad's working, um, he left early, et cetera. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I'd say my life was hell. Um, I didn't grow up with this in my home environment. Um, Actually, my mom and dad both did, but I did not. Mm. Um, my, my mom's father was an alcoholic. My dad's father was an alcoholic. It's not something we talked about. There was never alcohol around when I was growing up, nor was there alcohol around when my children were growing up. It was um, 
just something that socially my husband would indulge in or, you know, he yeah. worked many jobs and, you know, thought, I think he too thought it was, he was entitled to relax and have a drink. And that entitlement led to a huge problem. Lots of lies, lots of pain. Um, and I never, I, I will be honest, um, I have four sons and I never thought that out of all four, um, <clears throat> that Kyle would have the struggle. Um, Kyle had the, um, he was the most driven, um, the most um, successful. And he also had, the, I would say at young adulthood, he had the most hate for his father. He didn't have a lot mm. of forgiveness in his heart for his dad and the pain he put us through. Uh, Kyle and I were extremely close, still are. Um, our family is close. We're all close now. So um, I guess there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's hard to get there. But um, I, I don't think I ever thought that, you know, when we first received a phone call from Leola where Kyle went to school, was attending college, I don't think we ever thought that, um, you know, he'd have a problem. I just didn't, you know, I just didn't, um, didn't think that this was going to happen to Kyle. Um, my, my biggest concern was that he was going to um, struggle to maintain an, you know, absolute academic performance, but I didn't think that he would, um, I, I, of course I expected him to have a drink. That would be an unrealistic sure. um, thing to think that he wouldn't, but um, he did a darn good job at hiding it. And as a mm. parent, um, I think we have blinders on, and I think we really, really need to take them off. Um, we somebody a counselor once said to me, I went to many counselors for help for my husband, for my husband and I, just mm -hmm. for me, for strength. Yeah. And somebody said to me, um, you know, your child's life is not a coloring book. You cannot color it pretty. They have to make their own mistakes. You can't color the picture for them. Mm. So I think once I started realizing that, um, <clears throat> there was a lot of anger, you know, and, and I was disappointed in behaviors. Um, and sometimes I would probably, unfortunately, become very stern. And I, I tried every method I thought was going to sure. work. You know, the kindness, the strictness, the, you know, you can't live here anymore. Um, yeah. But um, I, I, I guess it's just, um, all I can say is just keep your eyes open because if you think something's going on, it's going on. Yeah. Be strong. Um, I think I was strong, um, sometimes far greater than I thought I could be. Um, but a lot of, lot of arguments, correct? Lots, lots of, arguments, of arguments. Lots mm. of arguments between us, um, mm -hmm. making you think that I was crazy, that it really wasn't yeah. happening. But my yeah. husband did that to me as well. But yeah, you know, thinking that you're imagining things that aren't really, really happening. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, I will say, having worked with families for so many years, I used to always say, you know, part of your recovery is starting to learn to trust your own spidey senses again. Yes. They existed, mm -hmm. right? You had this, like the hairs on the back of your neck that was like, I know my son mm -hmm. better than anyone else. And I feel like something's wrong. Yes. Um, and I say to parents all the time, don't ever ask a question you don't want the answer to, mm -hmm. and don't ask a question you won't accept the answer to. Cause sometimes we'll say, are you okay? And you're like, yep. And we're like, oh, thank God. Mm -hmm. Thank God you're okay. Right. So we're not prepared yet for that answer. Um, but you touched on, and both of you touched on it. Right. So obviously here I am. You know, I've been working in this field for like 27 years. I'm a big fan of saying like, you know, secrets is where, secrets is where it all sits. Yes. Um, I have been a family therapist for a lot of years and also would say, right, when people are like, my kids don't know, I'm like, yes, they do. Um, and so I would say, bring them in. Mm -hmm. And they're like, they really don't know. And I'm like, I'm telling you right now, mm -hmm. your kids know something yeah. because they know you, but they're creating stories. Mm-hmm of what's going on. So what the story is of like where dad is, what the story of the, why do you look sad today? What the story is of like, why are we getting treated differently? Like kids will create a story because they, they're too astutely aware of the experiences in their lives. And that's always where the sick, the, the secrets are, yes. right? That perpetuates. Yes. So if I stick with that theme, 
what were the stories that you created? Because mom's saying, I tried to protect them, I tried to shield them, um, but there's no way that you and your siblings were not creating stories of what was happening around you. So what were the stories? Because the secret was, the secret's what you couldn't touch. So what did you think was going on? I mean, you were, at a certain point, As you recognized- As it pertains to my dad? Your dad, your mom, your life. Um, you know, I, I don't really remember the secrets. I think I was maybe eight-ish, eight or 10 years old when, when it kind of came to light. Um, but what I do remember was, you know, when my mom had no choice but to sit us down mm. and explain to us what was really going on. Because um, my dad did have his own business at the time that took him out for work in the evening. Mm -hmm. So it was not uncommon, nor was it untruthful that after dinner he would go back to work. Um, but that was when, mm -hmm. he, you know, he was drinking as well. Um, and, and I don't think that you could lie anymore, right? I don't think that it could be a secret anymore. No, I couldn't and, lie and I because think... it started to affect our entire household finances, mm. et cetera. Um, so there comes a point where you, you know, have to tell your children, yeah, we have a problem, you know. And it was um, probably either you told us or someone else in the community would have said something because mm -hmm. I don't mm. think that it could be protected anymore, mm. certainly not in the house and definitely not outside of the house. Um, you know, so that I do remember and we were young I have three brothers, um, and I, I just remember my mom sitting us down in the morning in the bathroom when we were getting ready for school uh, to tell us, you know, your father's not here today, uh, and and I I'm, I can't lie anymore, you know. Mm. Um, he's an alcoholic. He's very sick, um, and I think that he might have had a DUI that night before, and that's why he wasn't home. Yes, you're exactly correct. He did, and I received a phone call about probably middle of the night about three yeah about three o'clock in the morning um and that was the that was the beginning um yeah that wasn't the end no no <laughs> that was the beginning um it had gone on for longer than i'm probably aware of prior to my mom telling us sure. um, but then it continued to go on for quite a few years mm -hmm. um, through separations of our marriage mm. um we never the children and i never left our home um we had a tremendous amount of support from my late parents, and um, I think I think we got through it pretty well. Um, you know, there were there was a lot of you know a lot of pain, but I never I, I still didn't think that my children, you know, or my son at least had a problem with alcoholism. I didn't think that because by the, you know by the time Kyle was a junior or senior in high school, um, his father went into rehab, mm. very successful. Um, and it was very hard for Kyle to visit his father at the facility. We were allowed to visit, I think, after the first week on Sundays as yeah. a family. And um, we all did go. Kyle was the least. He was resistant, but he went. I was angry. Yeah, he was mm -hmm. very, very angry. And we did this for about a month. And um, he, like I said, I'm, I'm very, very thankful. I believe that was in 2000 and. I guess it doesn't really matter, 2006, that your dad went into rehab, and thank you, he's still sober, and, um, you know. And you're I, still happily married. <laughs> when I tell my story, I always mm. like to say, and, and by the way, my parents are still very happily married today. Yeah, we're, we're And still. that my father is sober, um, you know, because like my mom said, there was separation um, at one point. There, 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 had, a, a there had protection to be. from abuse. Yep, there, 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 yeah. You it, know, it, so the law got involved. Yeah. Um, and... Yep. It was messy, you know, and, and everyone kind of handled it as best they could, but there was definitely some maladjustments along the way. Sure. Um, and I think at the time it, it probably affected my youngest brother the most because he was the least capable of understanding what was going sure. on. Um, and unfortunately for me, I just was angry. You know, mm -hmm. like I was just so angry. And I remember being so relieved um, when my mom said that, you know, we're going to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. And when, just, when he wasn't around, mm. we were at peace. Yeah, we were, yeah. we were at peace. We were at peace at, at the you know meal at dinner time, at going to bed when the doors were locked, and we knew he wasn't living there. We were at peace. Yeah. Um. There, there wasn't much physical abuse, but a lot of mental. Mm -hmm. Um. But I, I mean, as Kyle said, it, it it came to a head. It came to you know. It came to a head, and I, I, I will thank the authorities for you know kind of directing me and telling me what I needed to do, yeah, to remove my husband from his own home, and it was the best thing we ever did, and um, 
probably to this day, I probably blame myself. Um, Kyle was, I believe, a senior in high school, and um, I needed his help. I needed his. He was the one that, like he said, his younger brother was not quite as smart and savvy as Kyle was, and he didn't quite understand what was going on. Um, his older brothers were working and college. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, um, you know, I blamed myself for a long time that I involved Kyle maybe in our personal life, but it was it was a family problem. Well, and that's kind of the 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 beauties. The beauty of family is the resiliency, mm-hmm. right? I mm-hmm. think people think, and I will say, people ask that of me all the time, right? Of like we misstepped, and I'm like resiliency is only found through adversity. That's how families learn how to be resilient. And your story is one of resiliency, not just the resiliency, right? And and in some ways, you know, you're angry at your dad and and sometimes, you know, Mm -hmm. life imitates art, right? And, but on the flip side of it, the resiliency, and I'm interested to see if there was a, at what point you realized this, because the resiliency that your families, families figure out how to survive. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Mm-hmm. So whether you wanted Kyle to step into a role, he would have anyway, mm-hmm. because somebody was going to, right? Because yes. that's how families, yes. that's, that's what we do Kyle as families. Kyle was always the peacemaker. He was always the, yeah. as I called it, the poo-pooer. He always would, if his brothers were fighting or something was, no, no, take this. He was always the one to make it better. That was his personality. Okay. Correct. He was, yeah. yeah. To a fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and then like you go looking out for everyone else and, and taking yeah. <laughs> care of everyone else. You know, making sure mom was okay and that my brothers were okay, and and Correct. you know, never really looking to see if Kyle was okay. You Correct. know, which wasn't that problematic in high school. No, at um, that point it was right. not. But it became increasingly more of a problem when I went to college. Well, God and then forbid graduated. the problem solver have the problem. Or the person that everyone right. goes to for help <laughs> now needs help. You know? Correct. Yeah. You change the rules. Yeah. Yeah. So was there a lot of adjusting going on when the rules started to change. But and that's where I would oftentimes say certain personalities come into the space that makes the most sense to them. And then recovery from whatever you're recovering from is about almost the acceptance of who you are and then figuring out how to get how to not get lost in it. If you were always going to be that person, then celebrate it. That's one of your gifts, right? One of your gifts. That's probably why you are at RCA as a treatment advocate, because you see the potential in other people. That's a gift. The piece is that part of your recovery, of all things recovered, is recognizing how to not get lost in it. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you would have been able to protect him from trying to fix things, because I think it's inherently part of who you are, right? Yeah. It's like asking the kind kids, stop mm-hmm. being so kind. Yeah. Yeah. I need you to toughen up. And they're like, oh no, like now I can't because I'm, I don't know how to not be me. Yeah. yeah. And so I think in some ways it was trying to figure it out. But when you start to struggle, it changed the family, right? Mm-hmm. And now families are having to readapt. Um, and again, back to the resiliency, you know, that's why for me, the strong advocacy to keep families involved in treatment is for everything you just said. Because if you are not a part of it, mm-hmm. then you're not getting the message that what your message, and everybody's story gets to be different and sure. gets to be exactly the way that it's supposed to. But for your story where you were saying, we had to put some pretty significant limits in our lives to be able to support recovery, mm-hmm. right? To like disconnect from what the disease was creating and support recovery efforts. And now to see, you know, the, the recovery occurring, mm-hmm. that also became a story of your family. That also became the resiliency is that on the, the back end, you knew, I mean, there's not much that my mom's not going to support me from. Yeah. I know she can set limits, yeah. <laughs> but there has to be, and that's a huge piece. So I actually want to speak about that because I think there's so many especially young adults, the secrets are pretty, pretty big. And for different reasons, why each child keeps that to themselves, right? Mm -hmm. To save and protect their mom, because I'm sure if you had that superhero cape, right? The last thing you wanted to do was put your mom through a similar pain. Mm -hmm. Um, And so secrets get bigger. A lot of times, not because you're trying to just hold on to the secret, but you're protecting people you love. Yeah. 
So as you started to notice this, how did your family start to adjust to figure out how recovery was supposed to look on day two? So you certainly grieved, and I'm sure all of the appropriate experiences, the anger, the grief, the fear. Tell me a little bit about that process, because I think we're looking at young adults today that are struggling. And I'm always saying, get their families involved because nobody recovers alone. People need to know that there's hope. People need to know that there's inspiration. People need to know that we love you yeah. and we recognize that this is still a present part of our lives and I have to set limits. How did you start doing that as this started to happen? Um, in reference to Kyle, I will say that um, <clears throat> I, I have to say how proud I am number one of Kyle, but all of my sons, all, all three, I've never seen, I don't know where the power came from, mm. but obviously they loved him deeply because they were all there for hours prior, uh, driving mm. him to the facility where he went. Um, mm. They just genuinely, he has three brothers. They're, none of them are perfect. They all have, you know, they, they all have their issues, their problems. Yep. Um, but they just, that they seen his pain. His pain, mm. he was so broken, mm. so broken. He was so fragile, so frail. I, I, I just don't think that, you know, we thought, we thought he was ill prior to this, to him practically breaking right down. We thought he was ill. I thought, I thought he, literally, I thought he had like perhaps cancer or something. He was so thin. He was coughing. Mm. Um, I, I was like, well, you haven't been right since you had COVID, et cetera, et cetera. So I really, really... Mm. He hit it. He hit it very well um, at the at the very end before he went into recovery, mm -hmm. um, and and I think I, I was in shock, a total shock. Um, I was in shock the night before he went, the day before he went into recovery. I refused to stay in the house with him. I don't know how much you know Kyle has talked about that, but I just I was just so um, paralyzed by it. I. I couldn't move. I couldn't get words yeah. out of my mouth. I didn't know what to say. I thought, not again. There's not. Mm. There's nothing. I, so he has to. So I basically, um, you know, I, I, I just his his brothers were phenomenal. Um, probably his youngest brother, who's in the medical field. We just. Um, I said he has to go, or or I go. I'm not giving you an ultimatum, but I have to protect myself. Yeah. And Setting I can't do this anymore. He needs help. I don't know how we're going to do it, but he has to go. Um, and. Uh, well, and up until that night, everyone thought I was in recovery yes. still, because this was mm. not my first attempt at getting okay. sober. So um, I think that you knew something was going on. Well, he had, he had a very stressful, high-powered, if you may, job. He had mm -hmm. a very important, you know, which kept, which made him work many hours. We, you know, we knew where he was. We knew where his job yeah. was. Um, um, the people where he did work, I mean, his... Um, I should, shall I say, the people that patronized the place. That, and everybody had nothing but the highest things to say about Kyle, his work. Um, just that's the way Kyle, people always spoke of Kyle. You know, mm -hmm. Kyle was, if you, if you could ask for a Kyle to mm -hmm. be this perfect young man, he, that's who you would ask for. Um, so I, I think, I don't think some of his coworkers knew. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think his boss knew. I know, I know we didn't know up until literally the day before I knew something was off and I, I tried a couple of a week or two before that. I said, Kyle, something's not right. You need to call the doctor. You know, I don't like the condition that you don't, you don't look mm -hmm. right. And you know, he's a grown man. And I mean, he, you know, well, you know, I'm busy working. If you had to work 16, 17 hours a day, well, there were always excuses, yeah. Yeah. you know? Yeah. And you kind of lie, you know, and, and I sure think, do. you know, why, why, why do we lie? Right. As addicts and alcoholics, um, for me, it was to protect my secret mm -hmm. and to, protect my parents, you know, specifically my mom from, from disappointment, mm -hmm. from hurt. I think that's any child's like greatest mm -hmm. fear. Um, whether yeah. you're a young kid or an adult, right. Is, is that disappointment mm -hmm. that you're going to bring to your family? Um, and especially because I have tried, I had tried it for six years to get sober. Yeah. Um, but never, I have to reiterate on this. Kyle was never institutionalized. He never went for help for real help in a facility and that I believe is key. I really, mm. really believe it. So I you think did he, like an outpatient. I had done outpatient programs. Um, any of the sobriety I had was because of the legal involvement in my life. So 
So there was a period in my life where yeah. I had an alcohol monitoring device on. There was a period of my mm-hmm. life that I was on house arrest, you know, so the law was involved. Um, I had a probation officer. So that was where those little bouts of, of sobriety would mm. come from. I had like court ordered outpatient treatment, um, but I was so mm. resistant for those years to a residential program, right? Because I thought like, I'm not, I'm not putting myself away and I'm not letting anybody put me away. Um, and I also thought, you know, once you do that, like the gig is up. Yeah. Like you have, you've surrendered, you go into treatment, you know, you're now labeled as an alcoholic and I didn't want to be. I didn't want to be sober. Yeah. Certainly didn't want to be an alcoholic. So I thought by, you know, going in for help into a residential treatment program, how, how then could I ever drink again without people judging me, yeah. being angry with me? Yeah. You know, so I had really prolonged the inevitable until I, I couldn't prolong it anymore. You know, like I don't, I don't know um, how many more chances I would have received. And I don't think... I would have continued or been able to continue to live and drink the way that I did. Like, I think I was like one foot in the grave, so to speak. At, I mean, at I had the, lost at the end in a matter of um, my physical health was just yeah. in a horrific. couple of months, it was just deteriorating. So how do you help? Because I think, you know, we're living a life through a pandemic that feels like it's never going to end. Mm-hmm. Right. For mm-hmm. a lot of individuals, we're seeing an uptick in a lot of individuals being impacted by alcoholism for the first time in their lives who continue to say probably exactly what you just said. If I, and when you look at young adults, you know, at, at the age of 22, to have to decide, I'm never going to drink again, right? So how, you were just there, right? A lot's shorter than where we were just there, right? In mm-hmm. a very different world. What messaging do you think would be helpful for somebody that's listening for a parent who's saying they're an adult, like, what am I going to do? How do we help them recognize that serenity where they don't have to keep trying in this? I, I, I always, in my head, I'm always like, it's like, a doctor says to you, you need chemotherapy, and you're like, can I have just an antibiotic, right? And you keep taking the antibiotic because you just keep getting like this little infection. And so I'm always struck by that with this field, right? It's a constant negotiation. Anything but. Yeah. I'll do anything but. You, you need drinking, radiation, to, yeah. and somebody's like, how about I give you an antibiotic for five days? And the, n- no, you need, like, so how do we help somebody? Because- this is the only medical condition that people really negotiate it. Because if somebody told you you could have radiation for a month or you could have radiation for an outpatient antibiotic, everybody would say, take the antibiotic. Like nobody would say, let me have it for a month, please. So how do we help young adults? And then I'm going to ask you the same thing. How do we help parents who are scared, who are afraid their kids are not going to graduate who are worried that they're going to lose their college. I just had my daughter graduate college yesterday, right? So I'm in that, literally yesterday, Mm -hmm. yeah, in that space of like how lost and how do we reach into that space to say, here we are, I'm successful, I did it. You don't have to keep going this way because unfortunately this is a disease that can kill somebody and we don't know when that magical day is. Mm So what are your thoughts on like, what do we need to say to somebody? What are I we mean, doing for wrong? For me, <laughs> it was my brothers getting involved that Family. really opened my eyes up to what was really going on. You know, mm-hmm. in the morning on that day, it was a Tuesday, it was just my mom and dad. And, and even in that moment, you know, I was like really hungover and probably still intoxicated, but it was not a good day. Um, when I thought it was just going to be a conversation with my mom and dad, I still thought, okay, I can manipulate this situation. Mm, thought I, you could weasel your way out. Yeah, I, I don't need treatment. We just need some space. Right. We just need a couple of days and we're going to get over this. Mm. Um, and I panicked. And then as the day went on, I started to learn, you know, that my brothers were aware of what was going on and that, you know, everyone was going to be coming over, you know, to our home or, you know, like a family intervention. Yeah. Um, and I and I think that was when I, I finally surrendered. 
when I saw all of my brothers mm. and my parents and like nobody was mad at me. Mm. And I think that that was the first time so you had nothing in a to long fight. time. Nobody was mad at me. No, you no, know, like no. my mom mm -hmm. came in because um, she, she would not stay in the house the night before in the morning of. Um, but when she came in, you know, and, and then my siblings came in and, and my sister-in-law was there and nobody was mad. And everybody just came, kept saying, it's okay. We're here to help. You know, you don't have to do this alone. And, and you can do this. Mm. But I think that was key for me. Yeah. Um, because there were a lot of fights and arguments and, and of course. anger. And, right, who do you blame? What do you blame? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that question yet. And it doesn't really matter. Because I think yeah. so often we waste time like, well, why me, why me, why me? Yeah. Instead of like, well, why not me? And, yeah. and then getting the help that we need and then hopefully helping other people. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it was, you know, my family being involved, especially my brothers, um, and that no one was mad. Mm. I, I know they were disappointed, but they weren't angry. Nobody raised yeah. their voice. Um, I think we were all greatly scared because we could yeah. see him. I think two of his brothers in particular were talking back and forth constantly. And, you know, we, we, none of us could quite catch him. And um, I think Kyle's evil at the time was vodka. So we couldn't smell anything. Mm -hmm. um, there, we don't, didn't have alcohol in the house. We don't, you know, I go to bed 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night. My husband would lay on the sofa, kind of, you know, just hanging out like he does, watches TV with Kyle. Uh, they talked, they watched a few funny shows and um, everybody went to bed. So then, yeah. unfortunately, when he would relapse, it was a secret. Um, yep. it, I, I think if he could have, if he could have been truthful sooner, maybe we could have helped him, maybe in a different way. But I still, in my heart, nobody's going to tell me any different. If, if Kyle didn't go to a residential setting, remove himself from the environment yeah. he was in, he would not have had the success. Yeah. Um, so I'm. I'm on a bandwagon. <laughs> I, yeah. you know, I really am. I, I mean, I have, um, you know, I have, um, unfortunately some, you know, close, very dear close friend that, you know, lost a son, horrible, you know, automobile mm -hmm. accident and didn't get the chance, um, yeah. to help her son. Like, you know, our family will help, will help Kyle. Um, yeah. so it, it's, it's huge. Um, how to get through, you know, how to get through to the individual that they need. I, I think the biggest thing too, is they need to realize that it really is a disease. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not all, it, it, and it, you know, I was raised probably old school, like, oh, it's a choice, you know, and, mm -hmm. and maybe my own father, whose dad was an alcoholic. My dad was not, you know, my dad was a yeah. lucky one that God bless him made the choice to say, um, my father did wrong to me. I, I, he, but he didn't have the disease obviously. Right. Right. And that was a big thing. Um, my mom, basically the same way never, never, you know, never drank, but my mom was old school also and stern about it, you know, yeah. um, that this was, this was a choice and knock it off. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's kind of a stone age way of thinking. And I think yeah. we have to put that to rest and realize that, you know, yeah. it's, there's something inside, whether it's like the person that wants to eat a cookie all the time. This is, it took me a long time. I'm sure Kyle will yeah. agree to that. I don't think I ever really, you know, I was sick hearing that word. It's a disease. It's a disease. You know, um, why, you know, why is it a, a disease? You know, why are you, you know, but until they really realize or take a good look at themselves mm -hmm. in the mirror. And like he said, he knew he was sick. He knew he was unraveling out of control. Yeah. Couldn't hide it anymore. And he had the support. He yeah. had the family support. And, uh, there, you know, there was, um, I, I don't necessarily think I was mad at Kyle the night before. I just knew that I couldn't help him anymore I, in the condition I was in. Yeah. So I needed, you know, I needed, I, we need, I needed the strength of everybody, his dad, his brothers, and um, his youngest brother just basically got on the phone, put the call out to all the brothers. And um, it was hard. And it was very hard. I will say it was very hard for his dad to um, agree to put him in the residential setting because his father had been there. And mm. he didn't want that for him. That mm. was one thing I have to stress upon. He was very resilient. And he said, if anything happens to him talking to me, I will never forgive you. Mm. And even as Kyle was going in for help. It's a lot. You know, he really thought that, you know, it, here it was supposed to be a, a good thing. But yet he, you know, was, he was, he was, he was concerned. He was really deep. Because my husband's a, 
is and was a very kind person. He was always, Kyle's just like him, always yeah. the one that was helping his siblings. He's, you know, yeah. my husband's one of, was one of um, five, and um, he was always the, the oldest, the do-gooder. You know, everybody called him for everything, and I, you know, I, I, I'm just, like I said, I, I just think you have to, you know, every chance you get, don't give up. You know, just keep opening that book and keep trying to preach it to them that, you know, they have a problem, you know, and it's not, it's not pretty. There's going to be a lot of fights and a lot yeah. of arguments, but, you know, you have to be strong and go and with your gut. It doesn't go away. No, no. No, Kyle, you know, it doesn't just it's magically not a phase. go away. It doesn't go away. Um, yeah, it's not how that goes, right? And and the more that we can preach kind of like that idea of like a medical understanding, because mm -hmm. it's the only thing, and I, I'm always saying that, first of all, it's the only one that everybody gives you unsolicited advice, mm -hmm. right? Everybody became an expert, mm -hmm. right? No matter where you go, people are like, this is what you need to do for Kyle, and this is what you need, and you're like, I didn't know you had a degree in this, mm -hmm. right? So it's just based in opinion. But when we keep having that, because the two things that stuck out to me was at a certain level, you started to appreciate the foundation of how somebody has that, right? These mm -hmm. physiological uh, experiences, that medical understanding of like, it just doesn't go away. Mm -hmm. You got diabetes. It just doesn't magically wake up and you're like, huh, it's gone. Mm -hmm. been eating donuts and cupcakes every day, but it's magically gone. So, you know, I, I know at RCA, that's like a huge piece for us to like educate every week, right? We want somebody because when you feel like when you understand it, you're less angry at the person. Mm -hmm. And now you're almost uniting together to fight this. That's what Kyle and his dad did. They were so close. Am I correct? And going going into this. I don't, my husband, I don't think my husband could believe there was something wrong because he hit it so well. And I think my husband just felt this closeness with them and he was, yeah. you know, he was proud of them. And, sure. he, you know, even though he had, like I said, the job and even though he'd go off the handle once in a while, they were close. If Kyle needed help at his job, picking something up, my husband was there for him. Yeah. He was always, um, always like, always, I want to say he coddled him a little bit. And I said to him, did you think something was wrong with him? Did you think he was like, no, I, I was yeah. here every night with him. I didn't see it. You know, I, yeah. you know, I, um, but, but like I said, he, he hit it very, very well. And, um, you know, I, I'd say up until about a week before, uh, I really, with, the, with his, you know, horrible relapse, I really, um, I really did think that something was wrong, but I just didn't know what, you know, he came up with some great stories sure. to try and, you know, tell me he, that the doctor had given him something. And I thought, I thought something meant like prescription wise wasn't mm -hmm. agreeing with them and there was no prescription. It was just alcohol. Sure. But yeah, for a, for about five days, I thought, I, I think he's, I kept looking at him and you know, and you're, yeah. they live in your home. So you're searching and you're looking and yeah, you don't find yeah. anything and you know, but just don't give up. Yeah. Just don't give up. And that piece, I think that other piece that stuck with me, and then, you know, I'm going to kind of ask for your final words of wisdom, is the whole family coming together, right? Because we don't know who, who's going to resonate where somebody hears it different. But what you're describing is my whole family came together to say, we love you. Mm -hmm. My whole family came together to say, it's you okay. deserve this. Yeah, yeah. it's okay. We're not it's mad. It's okay, yeah. That the whole idea of that serenity, like everybody in that moment surrendered to the things that they can't control and all they leaned into was just the love for each other as you would anybody, like any other diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like that's the piece that I'm like, if people could just hear that, like if, if he was diagnosed with any other chronic illness, your family would be angry at the illness. Yes. Your family would be angry that this happened to you guys. You probably would ask, like, how come I got it? How come I got diabetes, cancer? How come I got this and nobody else did it, right? You, anger is a part of the grieving process and something changed in your life that you're allowed to grieve. But in those other diagnoses, the families start to lean into the person to fight. Mm -hmm. We're going to do this. And that's literally what you just described. My family mm -hmm. was like, you can do this. You can beat this. We believe that. Like, we're going to fight because that, to me, is, that's the changing point. You got treatment. You set a limit. You were like, you, we're not doing this over and over again. We're not going to keep doing this outpatient mm -hmm. thing. We're not giving you a five-day antibiotic for a full-blown disease. That's my... So we need you to get treatment. We want you to get treatment because you deserve it, not because you're getting punished. 
but because it's going to change your life and that you heard it through love, not anger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think at, at that point, it was accept, accept the help that they were offering or you're going to die. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. remember my mom telling me, you know, that evening when I went into treatment, like, I, I can't sit back and watch you die. Yeah. Not this, not in this manner, not in this way. Yeah. Um, and, and if you, you know, if you don't get help, you're going to die. Yeah. And I think I was really close to that. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like, I was close to, you know, the end of my life a year ago. And now my life is just beginning. And I could have never have done that without the support, you know, and the encouragement from my family. And then just saying like, it's okay. Whatever yeah. happened the past 32 years, yeah. let it go. Let it go. Let it go and let's move forward. Yep. You know, whatever mistakes you've made, you know, whatever wrong you did, like we forgive you. It's okay. Yeah. Nobody's mad at you. Everybody loves you and, mm. and we just want you to be better. Yeah. You know, and, and agreeing to go to treatment was probably the most difficult decision I've ever made. Um, and I was terrified, yeah. absolutely mm-hmm. terrified. Uh, I think I actually had like a, a full-blown panic attack. I, even. I think he did. He was clenching like I was, he, yeah, I sure. was his nails into me. I was so overwhelmed was, because yeah. my life as I knew it was over. Yeah. And in, in, in what I didn't know then would turn out to be like the best thing, but I could not imagine a life mm. without alcohol. Right. I, I couldn't imagine not having alcohol present in my life for yeah. that escape you know, to cope, to feel better, um, to live. Like I thought I needed alcohol mm-hmm. to live and without it, I wasn't going to live. Yeah. You know, but it was the very thing that was actually killing me. Yeah. And, and so when I was in treatment, you know, I, I kind of realized like I need to accept my disease for what it is, mm-hmm. but now I'm responsible. I have to be responsible for, you know, yeah. creating this life that is worth living in the absence of, of alcohol. That's my mm-hmm. responsibility. Right. You know, um, and, and I couldn't do any of that until I accepted, you know, that I was an alcoholic and I have to work proactively every day, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm not complaining. Yeah. You know, I have to kind of tell myself every day, like I'm an alcoholic, yeah. you know, and I will not drink today. Yeah. Um, and we talk about it pretty regularly now because yep. prior to that, we would not talk about it. No. You know, even no. after my father went to treatment and, and was in recovery, we didn't have any, uh, many open discussions about mm-hmm. it, you know, which is why I think it became so difficult to, to deal with sure. when history was repeating itself with me. Yeah. Um, but we definitely talk about it more regularly now. Oh, definitely. And we have, you know, intimate family conversations about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I hope that that continues because I think that's important too. Yes. You know, instead of growing up with this shame and guilt and secrecy. Yeah. Talk about it. Yeah. You know, it becomes less of a, I don't want to say death sentence, but less of a taboo yeah. thing if it's just openly talked about. Mm-hmm. Just another part you know, of it. No, I mean, I don't think, experience. you know, I, I wouldn't judge somebody for having like diabetes or cancer, God forbid. No. Correct. But we're sometimes a very, you know, misunderstood and judged population mm-hmm. um, as addicts and alcoholics. Mm-hmm. I think it's getting better. I think I think but, it is getting better, yeah. but I think you have to, you know, definitely have to realize you're not the first one. I had to realize yeah. many years ago, I'm not the first one that's gone through this, and I'm not going to be the last. Yeah. You know, you come from this little small community, and yep. you know everybody knows anybody at the private school and the little church, you know everybody. And once you can get over that and and help someone and yeah. realize that, you know, it it happens. Yeah. And it's it's unfortunately probably going to always be there. But yeah. if you can deal with it, correct. Um, you know, it doesn't have to hide in the secrets, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. It doesn't have to hide in the darkness. Then people will be more, you know, um, open to having to say something out loud when they need it. You know, at a time that is going to be meaningful. I mean, mm-hmm. that's really the reasons for this podcast. That's that's the reason why we're doing things. Whether you know whatever we're healing from, is to start saying it out loud so people mm-hmm. don't think they're shamed to this, that people don't think they need to do this alone, that for the families, for loved ones, that there's, an, there's a voice to be heard that says, just say it. Mm-hmm. Like recovery can and does happen every single day. Mm-hmm. Secrets mm. kill us. Yeah. yeah. But like 
recovery every day, every single day. And the beauty of your story was highlighting how a family could unite in love to tell somebody they're more than just this. Mm -hmm. That's a game changer, mm -hmm. I think, because we get caught in that anger. So, I mean, you know, as we, you know, and I appreciate your time so much, you have no idea. Is there anything that you feel you want to say to a family, to a mom, to a young adult who right now they are struggling beyond words today, um, very silently with their mental health, with alcohol and with, you know, all of these other things. Again, having a college-age daughter, she's like, Mom, it's so hard out there for so many kids. I mean, they're not kids, they're grown adults, but they're yeah. kids, right? What would you want to say? Not that there's like something magical you're going to say, but just to sure. know that they're not alone. What would you want to share? I think as a parent, I probably would just want to say, when you think there's something wrong, there is something wrong yes. and stick with it. Don't wake up tomorrow thinking it isn't there yeah. and turn your back on it. You, you have to yeah. get down and dirty. It's going to get ugly before it gets prettier. That's great advice. Reaching out to supports if you need it, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. What about for you? I think encouraging young adults um, and, and mature and older adults that it's okay to ask for help. You know, it's not a sign of weakness. Mm. Um, you know, you don't have to be defined by your failures and, and your mistakes, you know, that you, you can have a second chance to create a new life for yourself, you know, that is worth living without drugs and alcohol. Um, I mean, I made a lot of changes, right? We're from Scranton, Pennsylvania. Huge. So after treatment, I agreed to do aftercare, you know, PHP, IOP, Huge. sober living. Yeah. Which Doing was it extremely <laughs> challenging for me, you know, and, yeah. and the whole concept of, of people, places, and things, right? Um, mm -hmm. I never really changed them in the past, mm -hmm. but this time around, I knew I didn't have a choice, right? Like, did I want to go back home to Scranton, Pennsylvania after my 38 days in, in treatment? Yeah. I wanted my own bed. I wanted my home. He was yeah. mad at you know, us. And yeah. I was angry, he was you know, angry. like I thought you put me here, like you tricked me, right? Like I was mm. supposed to come here for 30 days and go home. And then it turned into 38. Now I'm not coming home. Like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it was the best decision I had ever made. You know, so I had to like literally yeah. change people, places, and things. Yeah. Environment. Um, that was huge. You know, so key. I moved. Huge. Yeah, key. huge. Um, I have a new job now, obviously, with Recovery Centers of America in a, in a, in a field that I've never worked in before. Um, but they've been the best changes that I've ever made in my yeah. life. Absolutely. And I think as yeah. a result of which, like, I'm happy. I'm healthy. I'm at peace. Um, I, and I think my family is probably healthy, happy, and at peace. We yeah. miss him terribly, but so, 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 yeah. so proud of him and his success. I know how hard, hard it was. Because um, Kyle loves his family, loves being close by. Absolutely. So it's a huge sacrifice for him to be two hours away. Yeah. But he knows it's beneficial and it's the best decision for him. Yeah. Yeah. He ma He made that decision. So that's... That's the biggest thing. I remember when I, you came to visit once and I was still living in, in, a, in a sober house. And I think later that night we were on the phone and, and I said, well, I'm, I'm going to go now. You know, I, I've got, I'm, I'm going home or I've got to go home. Like mm. I called the sober house home. Yeah. Right. And she was like, did you just, did you just call it home? <laughs> She's like, this is your home in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And I said, no, mom, I, I think I'm going to stay mm. here. I think I'm going to stay. And so that's when the process started where I, you know, looking for um, an apartment Obviously, I worked really closely with my therapist mm -hmm. um, at my outpatient center to make sure that I was moving at a pace that, that she felt comfortable with yeah. as a mm -hmm. professional yeah. um, and communicated it with yes. my family as well so that I wasn't making any rash decisions that yeah. you know, could damage my sobriety. Um, and just before Christmas, mm -hmm. I had moved into an apartment. And again, the brothers were there to help. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then but shortly yeah. thereafter, you know, received a job here at RCA. Um, so it's like every couple of months, like another great thing happens in my life, yeah. um, without me having to do anything extraordinary, right. you know, I mean, I maintain my sobriety. Um, I go to meetings. Mm -hmm. I, I did what was recommended that I do mm -hmm. when I was in treatment over the summer and, yeah. and throughout, you know, the fall and winter months with, with my aftercare program. 
Um, and I just know for me, it's so important to be honest every day about who I am and, and what I am. I mean, I know I'm, I'm a lot more than an alcoholic, but I have to recognize that yeah. pretty early on every day and, and yeah. communicate it to the people that are closest to me in my life. Obviously my family, right? My colleagues, mm -hmm. my partner, um, anyone that I think is going to be a part of my life yeah. should know that. Yeah. Um, because when I have stopped doing that in the past, that was always when I relapsed. I would stop mm. being so honest and upfront about being an alcoholic and living in recovery. Um, and, and ultimately, it was the people that I didn't share that part of my life with that were around me when I relapsed. And I don't blame anybody for it yeah. but myself. You know, so I have to make a conscious effort every day to remind myself that I'm an alcoholic and to share it with the people in my life. Mm -hmm. right? Like I don't have to tell the person at the drive-thru window in Dunkin' Donuts. Correct. Although I have on occasion, <laughs> you know, because I go there pretty frequently and we're close, but people know. And I have to... Yeah, he drinks a lot of coffee. I have to share that with people, yeah. you know, because that's part of my defense against this disease mm -hmm. is that I talk about it pretty regularly. Yeah. Um, and so people know, right? So if I start to act a certain way or I'm just not... Mm -hmm. myself or I'm starting to isolate or anything yeah. that would indicate that I, I'm not well, right? Like yeah. maybe I haven't relapsed, but I'm not well. I have people in my life that hey, know what's going on? Yeah. that, you know, um, there's things in my life that are, are more detrimental for me than they might be for someone else who's not an addict or an alcoholic, yeah. you know? So I have to, yeah. you know, make sure that, that the defense that I have against this disease is strong. And, and I do mm -hmm. that by you know, making sure that the people in my life know the right. struggles that I've had right. and know that I live in recovery and identify as a recovering alcoholic, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. That's my greatest defense. Yeah. Against this disease. Yeah. You know, you not letting it, it live yeah. in the shadows or, you know, somewhere Correct. behind me. You know, I, I live with it alongside of me. Correct. And I make sure that the people in my life know that. Yeah. Yep. yeah, you definitely can't hide it. Um, his dad doesn't hide it. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, I think if you hide it, it's like that, you know, like they say a banana peel, one slip and you're done. Yeah. And you, well, you can't, Yep. you know, you, people need to know, um, you know, what it is. And, yeah. you know, and once you accept and it can tell people, um, I, I think you're, you know, your recovery is a success. Yeah. So one yeah. day at a time. That's it. Yep. One day at a time. Well, yeah. thank you. You're both. welcome. Thank you. I you're genuinely welcome. appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for having um, us. I appreciate your story. I appreciate your honesty. Mm -hmm. Um, and I celebrate your recovery. Thank you. Both of yours. Kyle and Debbie, thank you for being a part of my Always Healing podcast. Remember, at any time, if you or a loved one needs help with a substance use disorder or help with a mental health issue, contact us at 1-800-RECOVERY. I'm Trish Caldwell. See you next time.